Matariki Kironga, Te Fanganui Atara Kiraro, Te Aro Paki Uta, Pauhere Taonga, Pauhere Tangata. Matariki is above, Wellington Harbour is below, down on the shore stands Te Aro Pā with the people, the most important of all. Tēnā koutou katoa e tāhuri mai ana ki tēnei kaupapa o te pōna i runga i te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Ko marae rakraku tōku ingoa, whakatata mai, whakapiri mai ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahikā. I'm Marae Rakraku, your host for this week's edition of Te Ahikā. Um, this is sometimes called a pepper tree as well. Pepper tree. Is it related to the horopito tree? No, okay. no, no, it's just... <laughs> that was a wood pigeon. Taking <laughs> it by surprise. You've disturbed him. Justine terrifying the wildlife at the Wellington Botanical Gardens. She's joined by Pākehā botanist Jenny Hickman. According to Chris Kreitziana, media has a lot to answer for when it comes to the portrayal of Māori men. And as a Māori man, he's got a bit to say about that. We want the media actually to promote the key positive role models out there and there's heaps of Māori men that are positive, love their whānau, do the right thing. But people, you know, happy times don't sell papers, don't get the, don't get the um, front news, it's always despair, misery, anger, hate. We've got positive people, you know, and they're everywhere. But people don't seek them out. They want to seek the bad, the mad, the sad Māori, where we know everyone knows a good Māori. Kia ora, Chris. And as well as that, we have Waiata from Emma Paki's 2010 album, Trinity. That's a taste of what's lined up for you in this edition of Te Ahika. The Wiki o Te Reo Māori, Māori Language Week, starts tomorrow, so here's something to get you started. There are a hundred words every New Zealander should know, apparently, so I did an experiment at a local pub and hit up some New Zealanders. Hello. What we have here are a hundred Māori words that every New Zealander should know. Now, you guys, everybody's a New Zealander. Do you know these words? <laughs> Uh, I know a few. Okay, what are they? Uh, marae. Yep, do you know what it is? A meeting place or a um, meeting place, I suppose, meeting house. Um, Haramai, welcome. Uh, welcome, I think. Uh, tangata Whenua as well, the uh, extended family or extended. Tangian, uh, yeah. They go together well. Oh, well, been the heaps of tongues. It's the funeral. The way I tell the song. It's gift. Haka. Yeah, everybody knows the haka. Oh, the big house over there. <laughs> the Farinui. Farinui's toilet. Farinui's kitchen. You got it. 
actually, Padukai can be referring to like oh. the eating area. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> keep going, Tito, keep going. Um, next page, next page. Oh. Aroha's love. Oh. Aroha's love. Mana is um, like respect. Oh, independence, Māori independence or Māori sovereignty. Now, as you heard there, they knew the words but weren't too flash on some of the meanings. Now, on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika, there are links to the 100 words. See how you get on. And I'll be back with the same pub crew next week to see how they've got on during the week. Uh, Justin Murray, Radio New Zealand National, tiahika here at the uh, Botanic Gardens. I'm with uh, Jenny Hickman. Kia ora, Jenny. Kia ora. <laughs> so, Jenny... Um, you hosted a Matariki walk uh, earlier this month to celebrate Matariki here at the Botanical Gardens in Wellington. Uh, well, I'm a botanist by training. Uh, I've done research in plant physiology, but now I'm a volunteer guide at the Botanic Garden. And rather than just talk about the, the botanical side of plants, I've become very interested in ethnobotany. And I like to sort of combine people into my walks and how they have used plants uh, over time, even one of my walks is about ancient history and the way the ancient civilizations used plants. Ancient civilizations as a as a Māori? Uh, well, yes, but also the Egyptians, the Romans, the Greeks, and also I talk about Aboriginal uh, use of plants with the Australian plants. So, you would, have you travelled the world, Jenny? I've In seen your... quite a bit of it. There's a lot I'd like to see yet. Wow, so we're here at the Botanic Gardens, as I mentioned. Um, we're just going to take a bit of a walk, so we'll walk and talk. Uh, um, Jenny, how did your Matariki walk go last or earlier in the month? Early in the uh, month? Uh, yes, and 14 people turned up, a very enthusiastic group. Some of them were herbalists and very interested in the use of the plants. So we're in front of the tea coca. Uh, yes, uh, this was a plant that was used for food. Uh, underneath the tea coca, uh, big rhizomes, these are underground stems, not the roots, and they grow down for about three metres, and the true roots grow out laterally for about ten, up to ten metres. But the, the rhizomes and even the uh, core of the trunk itself were used for food, um, well, more for sweetening other foods. Uh, these were cooked, and then the fibres were rubbed, very fibrous. If, you cut, if you've ever seen one cut down, it's, it's like wood, really. Um, and the fibres were rubbed and the uh, fructose extracted from this and used to sweeten oh, other foods. Right. And the shoots themselves were used. Uh, the, the shoot was broken off just at the base of the leaf um, and then you got a nice, you peel the leaves off and you've got this nice juicy tip. It was quite bitter but it was quite nutritious as well. So how would this ingredient with the tea coca be added to kai? Would it be um, with bread or with just any meals or...? I think it was just eaten like a vegetable. Wow. Mm. And does that include our, like, Māori? That, that used to... Um, yes, this is a traditional use. Traditional yes. use. And also the leaves were used as fibre, although flax is the most, was the most important fibre. Uh, these leaves were used as well because they're actually stronger and more durable than the fibres of the flax. So they were used to make string and twine, rope, um, Thatching for roofs, mats, baskets, sandals, rain capes, that sort of thing. So that's the tea coca cabbage tree. Yes.
cabbage tree. <laughs> Fantastic, Not Jenny. because it tastes like cabbage, though. <laughs> Why is it called the cabbage tree, Jenny? Well, when the early settlers came to New Zealand, they thought they looked like the cabbage palms, which sailors around the world tended to eat the core of. Um, and just because they looked like that, they called them cabbage trees, and the name stuck. Any medicinal properties of the tea coca? Ah, uh, yes, the uh, brew from the leaves is used um, to treat wounds, cuts and things, and often just the leaves were scraped, just the green scrapings were rubbed into cuts or wounds or um, sores on the skin, right. cracks in the skin. Now you did the Matariki walk, Jenny, and it took 80 minutes. We're going to do the short version. Yes, that's right. Because <laughs> uh, weather-wise, it's not fantastic, so before the... The Wellington weather caves in. I thought I'd ask Jenny to do the, the short version of our walk. The first one we're going to come to is the Hino tree. Uh, Hino. How do you spell that, Jenny? H I N. So Hino. Hino. Hino tree. Um, a decoction of the bark of this tree was said to cure even the worst cases of skin disease, and a black dye for dyeing flax was extracted from the bark and uh, an exudation from the tree was used to make the black pigment and for tattoo. For tamoko. So there's the hino tree. And the bark was also used to make simple water containers. But the most important use of the tree was the use of the thin flesh of the uh, fruit. For food, uh, the fruits were collected from under the trees, they were put in wooden troughs and they were pounded to remove the flesh and then they were strained to remove the stones and the skin and the stalks and then moulded into a cake and baked in an umu. Depending on the size of the cake, uh, a big cake might take two days. So underneath the hino tree grew fruit? It just fell off. In fact if we look on the ground we might even see some here. Oh so we're in, are we in we front? Are. We're, this is the tree and we look on the ground and see these little fruits. But you can also see the seeds. So you can see the seeds were quite big in relation to the size of the fruit. It's tiny. It's like the size so of a five it was cent. It's a lot of hard work to extract the food. And also, even when finished, there was probably little bits of the flesh still adhering to the stones. And these were sort of boiled up to make a soup. So nothing was wasted. So, I mean, what is... Is it a sweet fruit? Is it a, is it a sour fruit? Is it a... I think it would just be sort of almost starchy. And you spoke about extracting from the hino tree for black ink. Would that also come uh, from That the, was from the bark. From the bark. Mm. The hino tree. And the early settlers used it as ink too. For writing, obviously. For writing, yeah. the, the dye was used for dyeing flax too. Now this tree is quite tall. Do they are they are they an old tree? Uh, this one would be quite old. Yes, probably hundred years anyway. Mm. Uh, also here we have the horopito, the pepper tree. Horopito. Uh, the bark and the leaves were used for their medicinal properties. Uh, one of the things that they did was to chew the leaves to alleviate toothache because it's good painkiller. Uh, it also was good for sore stomachs and also good for treating skin disease. And so horopito, there's a horopito sauce that I understand that I believe a Māori chef Charles Royal makes. Um, is it quite, do you know if it's a, it's a, is it a peppery? 
It would be papery. Papery plant. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense. Horopito, hot sauce, Māori hot sauce. <laughs> if you've got one handy sometime, have a chew on it. <laughs> they do, the leaves smell lovely. Where I grew up, um, grew up with a playground of 15 acres of native bush. Where did you grow up, Jenny? In Western Southland, on the edge of Fiordland. So that's, a, so that's, you would just, what surprises me is you would just kind of walk past that thinking it's just nothing but a bush. I mean, it looks just it's very so, pretty. it's very pretty and the, there's leaves on it with a slight tinge of pink around the edges. So they would pick the leaves that we see and you could put it in your mouth and just chew it, for chew it, toothache. I need to pick me some of those. <laughs> it's, it's like, and also here we have the ringa ringa rock lily, uh, ringa ringa. The underground rhizomes, which are of course underground stems, were cooked for food. Almost looks like flax, doesn't it? It does. It has a little white um, lily-like flower. Um, and also, I think it was probably grown in cultivation or in villages as well. It was listed as 14th in importance for native uh, wild foods by William Colenzoi, who was a missionary who came to New Zealand, and he travelled about the country a lot because he was also a school inspector. And he produced very valuable diaries with a lot of information. The fruit of the Hino Minel tree was uh, rated third in his list of wild foods. Wow. And so this... this Ring, was it ringi ringa ringa. Oh, ringa ringa was listed as number 14 out of 18. 14 out of 18. The roots and the bases of the leaves were used for making poultices as well. What's poultices, Jenny? Um, usually they was something that was heated and then applied to something like a, a an ulcer or a tumour or an abscess. In your experience, in your years of, um, of being a botanist, how often do people today use plants as a means of medicinal um, use? I think it's something that's coming back because people are becoming sort of more suspicious of the, the drugs that are being produced the commercially. The superbugs. And there, there has been in the past quite a bit of research on the properties of our native plants and they, they do have a scientific basis to them. Kia ora. Kia ora Jenny. Okay, so we're on the Matariki he kai, he ahi, he weu, he rungoa. Probably while we're here we can look at the kawakawa. The kawakawa, so my this mum reckons that the kawakawa leaves Oh, do you boil the you can boil the leaves into a juice and it's really it, it's good for stomach problems. Uh, the kawakawa I always describe to people as being like a whole chemist shop, whole pharmacy in itself. It was just a, a great a way to describe it. Wonderful plant. Um, it has little fruit. I don't see any fruit on it. Just coming, little green ones coming, but when they're uh, ripe they're orange and they were just eaten raw and little spicy seeds inside. Um, this is sometimes called a pepper tree as well. Pepper tree. Is it related to the horopito tree? No, and, okay. no, no, it's just... Ooh. <laughs> that was a wood pigeon. <laughs> Taking us by surprise. We've disturbed him. Uh, again, a leaf was chewed to alleviate toothache. Um, and the fruit, the bark and the leaves have all got medicinal properties. Um, 
leaves them back for treating cuts and wounds and for stomach pains. Mm. Um, the leaves were used to treat skin complaints, um, colds, boils and bruises. The, when I mentioned it was uh, used for alleviate toothache, there's a substance in it which is the same substance in cloves, like clove oil, which is also used to alleviate toothache. One of the uses that I really like is the fact that it's actually full of insecticide. Now, you wouldn't think to look at it because you can see all these little, little holes, holes like and, but there's only one little brown looper caterpillar that is actually able to eat the leaves. It's obviously evolved to be able to tolerate the insecticide right. in it. And the plant doesn't seem to mind, and the caterpillar doesn't mind the insecticide. But leaves were, and branches were, uh, were cut off and laid out between the crops. And then the, they set fire to them, and you got this very acrid green smoke, which was full of insecticide, and it killed the pests in the crops. So the insecticide is something that's naturally within it's the... It's occurring, naturally occurring within the leaf. Gee, that is clever. Do you know if our, if our Māori people done that? Yes, they, they did. They used it as mm. an insecticide. They did, yes. Clever. So not only so is it good... between the rows of kumara and other crops. The kawakawa leaf. I didn't know that. Learned something new. We turn off for a bit of a walk. Oh, okay. So Unless you want to just chat as we go along. Um, yeah. How long have you been a botanist, uh, Jenny? And, 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 and have you naturally taken an interest in terms of rungoa Māori? Or has that just been, it's, has it stemmed from your It's stemmed in? from being a volunteer guide here. And I'm always looking for something new, something different to add to my walks. Uh, I've got quite a variety of different walks now, and this is one of them. But I did develop this one quite early on after I became a guide. So it's, it's, it's evolved. I think it evolved because of Matariki in the first place. And originally I did a, a talk. It was supposed to be a walk, but it was a bad day, bad weather, um, for the Carter Observatory. They are also interested in Matariki, so mm. it started there. How do you, with, with Matariki comes new beginnings and uh, often, uh, you know, some of our Māori gardeners or people that are passionate about gardening choose the new year to plant crops or to harvest crops. Mm. This Is this, in your um, work as a botanist, you've observed how the Māori New Year affects planting? I have noticed while reading that uh, when something flowers, that's the time you plant or you, you, you judge your year when to plant by flowering and native plants. Yeah. Have you had much involvement with... Um, Māori gardeners or, or Māori practitioners of rungawa Māori? No, but I would like to. <laughs> okay, so you've all you've just done this research just based on your your, your work as a botanist. Yes, and reading and, and reading. researching. Yes. Kia ora, Jenny Hickman. Kia kaha. Make those connections with Māori and other Indigenous people because you'll find the traditional ways you speak about aren't limited to textbooks and still exist. And I have the evidence in jars in my fridge to prove it. My father, who's in his 70s, and many of my whanaunga, including kids, continue to eat tikauka, drink kawakawa, and eat horopito, and use what's in the bush to this day. There are links and photos at our webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A, and there may be even one of Justine terrifying, I mean running into that kiruru. I'm Maraya Rakraku, and this is Te Ahika. Thank you.
keeping with the theme of manaakitanga, a Māori man fed up with the way Māori men are portrayed works hard every day to assist Māori men to rise above the stereotypes and in doing so strengthen their families. Chris Karaitiana is a father, son, husband and counsellor at Dove Hawke's Bay in Napier. Formed in 1992, Dove Hawke's Bay is a non-government organisation and member of Te Kupuna Whakaoti Mahi Putanga, the national network of stopping violence. I met Chris at their annual hui earlier this month. As a Māori man who works, your, your work is in eliminating violence, how do you feel about the images of Māori men and the way Māori men are viewed, like in mainstream society? How do you feel about that? Uh, it's a generalisation. I'm under in, um, under the understanding that it's a generalisation of one Māori at a specific time. He might have beaten up somebody for five minutes, but in the media and the government, all Māori men are like that. So they generalise us. Not all Māori men are like that. They don't hit their things. We want the media actually to promote the key positive role models out there and there's heaps of Māori men that are positive love their whānau do the right thing but people you know happy times don't sell papers don't get the don't get the um, front news it's always despair misery anger hate you know first things on probably be about a war uh, somebody's murdered you know, that'll be the first three, five stories. And then they might have one good story and then back to the dark, gloomy ones. But we've got positive people, you know, and they're everywhere. But people don't seek them out. They want to seek the bad, the mad, the sad Māori. Where we know everyone knows a good Māori. Everyone. I don't care who they are. Don't know. You know, oh, I look up to my grandfather. I look up to my dad. Look up to uncle. You know? We have to come to the conclusion that we should be looking up to uncle, granddad, dad, instead of looking at other people. You know, us Māoris, we've been spoiled for nice, generous, loving people in our lives. But we're quick to forget them because, you know, other people think it's better if we look up to the people that have got heaps of money, heaps of power, heaps of, heaps of everything, really. Whereas us as Māori are forgetting that we should be looking at the, the men that are heaps of aroha, heaps of mana, heaps of respect, heaps of tikanga. You know, they've, they've moved the um, goalposts again for us, you know. Why do you want to look at all those positive role models in Māori where you should be looking at these ones? Because like, um, our hey. family, again, is, is generalised that we're a bad family. We're not, because I'm not, but I'm part of that whānau, so they generalise me as being like that way. And, you know, it's it's good, though, because my whānau understand my role and my job, and they're all gang members, so when I go to hui or whānau, whānau parties or whatever, they know that they won't play up. I know that they won't play up or get into raru or fight because they know what I do, how I am. You know, excuse me, uncle. I don't want you to see. Me and my kids do not want you to beat up your wife in front of us. You know, my kids are trying to live a 
violent free life and yet it's not okay for us to see that and then that effect is uncle and auntie stop fighting their kids see that they're not fighting and it's just a whole positive experience now at whānau at, at whānau parties and whānau gatherings because you know I accept them for who they are they accept me for who I am so we kind of keep it clear you know that daru or what they do at their home is what they do at their home but in Fano in the Fano uh, gatherings it's clear of that because they just know that we ain't going to get anything no mahi's going to be done if I'm worrying about the rari rari that uncle and auntie yeah, got. because it creates a tension, eh? Yeah, yeah. And everyone gets stressed. Yeah, yeah, and mm. you come for Pacific something else. Yeah. And, and your focus done. ends oh. up getting distracted yeah. onto the inevitability of you can see mm. what's going to happen, which could yes. be a violent outbreak yes. or somebody getting a hiding. Yep. So, Chris, are you then telling me that it is possible, despite what is portrayed, to come from... A violent, violent surroundings, a violent whānau, and break free of it. Yes, it is very much so. Um, my cousin just got out of prison to serve 22 years, and I'm just trying to help him re get into the mainstream of what normal people do. If, the, if people out there can understand it, is this because his concept is about power and control. You know, when you're inside, it's all about power and control. Your mana comes from the amount of people you have power over or you control. Whereas on the outside, it's about all the people, all the networks, all the aroha, all the whakapapa, all the whakawhanangatanga, all those bonds that you make with people on the outside. Because people don't like being violent, but when you, it's the only thing you know, well, that's what you're going to resort back to. If you can't have the conversation or talk to people, everyone around you then it's so much harder for you to um, to do that but if you do can communicate can make those connections it's uh, meaningful relationships it just comes back to you because you know you're you're taking the time not to be violent you're getting to know the person it's just a bit more meaningful your relationship is meaningful when there's no violence and Māori are going to be stuck if we're going to use violence all the time as the way of solving our, our, our concerns, our problems. But if we change our ways, do what is right for us, not for anyone else, for us and our whānau, because it all starts with us, and then from there goes to whānau, then now to our hapus, and then to our iwis. So it's just, yeah, starts with us, but end of the day, there's, there's always a way of doing it. There's always hope for us because we were always the giving, sharing people. So if we're able to get back to our old ways, we'll be right. But, you know, that all starts with our language, our tikanga, our aroha, our, our everything, you know, everything that's mouldy. The more we understand, the more we process it, the more we use it in our day-to-day -day lives, so much more, so much easier, but you know, nothing's easy. And then we're trying to have the easiest way for us, and then they'll move the goalposts again, or they'll add another construct, or generalize us. Hey, 
Once Māori are doing well, they generalise us as being the bad or the, oh, you're part of that whānau, yeah, right, yeah. And so they're trying to pull us back into that, that grind of misery, eh? So it's just, yeah, it's so hard to talk about because it, Māori's feel stuff. We don't act on stuff. A lot of our concepts are from within us. You know, we're born with it to show aroha. Um, there's no way that we could go into a different hapu or a different thing without the protocols that Māori have being exercised. You know, you go into marae, first thing you do, state your whakapapa, where you're from, um, make the connections, make the bonds, and then you have a kai. And, you know, for Māori, oh, it's all about making those connections. We've lost all that. We'll go into a school or go into a, a public place or a tauiwi place and we'll forget those concepts straight away. You know, it breaks my heart. So is what you're saying, Chris, is that we can apply our tikana everywhere? Oh. It's oh. not necessarily restricted to a Māori building, oh. a Māori event, the marae. We carry it with us as individuals and we carry it everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere we go. You know, it's heartbreaking when I walk into a classroom and everyone's still got their shoes on because I'm thinking classroom is like a fuddy. You know, it's a place of learning. It's a place of etiquette. It's a place of, you know, and all our kids go to school. You know, some kids out there don't, but it's just those little concepts that Māori have already have and are established within us that we forget straight away because we're trying to be like our Pākehā mate that's in front of us or behind us you know if if we got the Pākehā to live up to the concepts of what Māori do our Māori kids would find it easier to be Māori but since we will we'll fit into their system but they won't fit into our system so we're jumping from system to system you know and we get that um, bipolar we're thinking our Māori in a Pākehā world, how am I going to fit in? Instead of, we're Māori, that's all we need to think, you know? We, we don't need to fit in there. This is our tangata whenua, so why are we accommodating for their understanding or the way they do it? Why are we doing that? Because we have to engage in that world, Chris. Yeah. Because that's the majority culture. Mm. But how many of us you know, like our relations are all over Aotearoa, the ones that haven't kind of given into their society or the way of doing things, how much more are they, you know, I look up to the... They live isolated lives. Oh, I live a, look at, like, uh, Ngāti Parau and Tūhoi, Taranaki, their, their ways of doing things are really their ways of doing it, but... It accommodates them, and it's really good because their heritage isn't lost. The more we accommodate for the other way of doing it, the more we're losing. So, yeah, for me it's a struggle because I see tikangas getting lost every day. Whereas, you know, that's that that's another big subject, but it, it goes with whānau ōrere. The more they... Um, forgot about whānau ora, that gap, those 160 years of 
pulling us down, putting us into boxes and that. Those, those principles were lost along the way. And the more we do not go back to those ways, the more it's going to be lost, you know. There's going to be, it's just getting to that point now where it's, it's okay to walk into the marae with shoes on. You know, with us older people, it's like, Totally. Yeah, yeah. But people are starting to do that, and then all of a sudden, our younger kids are seeing that and thinking, oh, it must be all right for me then, so I'll just do that. And then, you know, after a while, it just, we're starting to lose our traditions, our ways. And it's, it's the little things that they're going to try and get rid of. And then the major things, they had to be a major swing once those little things are gone. Because it's just those little things that, that Māoris do that make us Māori. If we start forgetting about the little things or the little people, we're going to lose a lot more than, than what we've got now. Kia ora, Chris Kodaitiana no Ngāti Kahununu Rangitāne. He's spent the past three years at Dove Hawks Bay working with young people in schools and in the community. Details about the violence-free programs Dove Hawks Bay run can be found at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. And when you go to the website, you can check out our photo gallery. Why not join us on Facebook? Like us! <laughs> Emma Paki, standalone from the Trinity album. Last week you met Sue and Margaret Mary, two of the nuns from the Susan O'Bear Order of the Sisters of Compassion, who I bumped into at the 100-year celebration dinner for Mori Kaunui Incorporation at Whanganui earlier this month. This week I rejoined the festivities, this time looking at a gallery of photos. Here are Bokuri Paina. Lele Pairo. Now, the three of you are sisters, and it was your father who was the very first chairperson of Murikainui, now known as Murikainui Incorporation. So what year are we talking? Sorry? What year are we talking? Oh, goodness. Yes, I can't. can't Over 20 years ago. Yeah. 25 years ago. Mm. I can remember when I used to have to fold those letters mm. at Grandma's. I was only little. Mm. So only, I might have been about 10, folding mm. the letters to send out. Those for You're the oldest? No, I'm the oldest. and the, and then I'm the youngest. Mm. <laughs> yes. Mm. So, help. Shucks, well, that is over 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes, well and over. truly, yes, 60, 60 years ago, that is. Yes. So is it through your nanny that you fuck a puppet to the farm? Um, our, our, our mother's side and our father's side. Yeah. Yeah. Māori Bailey on mum's side and my father running. Mm. Yeah. So just, just correct me if I'm wrong, so the original shareholders were... <coughs> What's it? Yeah. Mm. Bailey and Those were your grandparents, but who else were the original? How many more? Going back to Rangipo, our our great grandfather, Rangipo Mitikini, and and Pātapu, It's our our nanny's uh, grandfather, 
Yeah, Mother Sir. Bailey. Mm. The Pano of the River. Mm. They're all involved in this. Mm. Taranaki. Taranaki as well. Mm. They're, they're all in it. Mm. But but really, that they're all over the world. These people. Mm. I know from when I used to do those letters to send out for the meeting. Heck, they were going all over the world then, and there weren't many. There weren't as many then. I suppose we used to put out about 300. Letters. So this has really been something that's been part of your lifetime. Mm. Mm. The whole of the river is involved yep. in this because that's where the property is. There's our aunties, our uncles, their grandparents all involved. And the Scots, Auntie Heaney Scott, Auntie Nori uh, Pohe. Auntie Heaney. Mm. They're all, all involved. Uncle Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe was. Uh, Uncle Joe actually set this thing up for, before Dad moved in to do it. Uncle Joe, Maru Maru. So is it quite emotional this evening? Yes, it has been very emotional. Yeah, great, you know, because there's only three of us left in Dad's yes. family, you see, all our brothers have passed, passed on. on. Yes. And the last one just recently, this year. Oh, the pressure. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes, so. Uh, <laughs> the women, <laughs> like Harry said, very strong women. That was an awesome corridor she had yes. near her. Remembering all those kuya. Yes. And what did she say they could? Oh, the sparkle in their eyes and they were ready to laugh and they were a formidable force. Oh, Is that how you remember them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, our, our grandparents, they, and others, it would have been others, they all went without their rents in the beginning to get this thing going, get Moriko going. But that's so long ago now, gosh. I must have only been this big. You guys would have been older than me. Running around. <laughs> I only remember them talking about it, that's all. No, not really being a part of it. Of course, it's going to carry on mm. because we've all got mokopunas, children, mm. and I've got children. So it's, you know, the river, the awa, that's us. Well, it's, it's progressed from um, the Savage Club to here. When it was at the Savage Club, there was only about, uh, if lucky, it was 150 people. Tell me what the Savage the Club is. Uh, where are we? It's a hall just, just across, across the road. The road. Oh. Mm. They used to have the AGMs there every year. It's a club belong, mm. belonging to the local yokels here. Men, men. But that was where we used to have our meetings. Yeah, there used to be pretty good meetings mm. too. Yes, and then they started having them at the Marais. Mm. The AGMs at the Marais. That's good, eh? It brings everyone back yeah. to the park. Yes. Well, yeah. actually, once they started having them at the Marais, the numbers swelled. Mm. Mm. Doubled, then tripled, you know, from very, very small members over here. Mm. The photos of the old people up there. Mm. Should we go have a look at them? Mm. Tell yes. me who they are. Mm. Beautiful. I'm making my way towards a board of photographs with these three queer. There's about six boards and on them are black and white photographs of Muriko.
That's your papa there in that mm. suit. Looking mm. very gentlemanly with that pipe. Mm. That's in there, isn't it? Yeah, no, but I'm trying to pick these others. I can't oh. see properly. Yes, that's the trouble. We can't see. So this what year are we talking? This is Bill Tardy, isn't it? That's Uncle Bill. Mm. Eh? What year are we talking? Oh, shucks. Oh, this would be... Oh, move along here. Uh, oh, that'd be back. Oh, his dad there. Gee, Uncle, so that must be... Oh. Were you fellas around when that photo was taken? 40 years ago. No. Yeah. Yes, we oh, would have been only kids. Uh, that's Uncle Bill Towery. Mm. Uh, I don't even know who those others are. I, I can't make it. I've got nice dresses on those nannies. So this is all on the property, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Can't even make out who she is. No. I wonder if she's from Cooney. Here's our mother here. Mm. And what was your mum's name? Wikitoria. Bailey. Mm. Your mum's teeny tiny. Mm. That's yeah. our mother and our father. And whereabouts yeah. is this? No, it's at the it house. It's at Moriko House. Yes. At the, at the farm. Mm. Yeah. It's Kurawetere, isn't it? Oh, that's true. And that's uh, Manawanui Pauru. And that's. Is that the Horihipango there? Is that Huani's dad? Yes, it's Huani's dad. Uncle Hori. And there's one around here of our grandmother. Mm. You ladies got little quiet mm. voices. Not really. This is our grandmother, <laughs> our mother's uh, mother, <laughs> Moari, Moari oh. Bailey. Yeah. And that's uh, Pat Thompson, Pat Tomehana. So oh, these photos see. are all taken up at the farm, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, well, because our grandmother's been gone for years, so that would have been taken years and years ago. Mm. Yes. So it's mm. quite interesting that she's in that photo. But that could be about when they set, were setting things up, I think. So the Minister of Māori Affairs, and that's Duncan McIntyre. Yes, and I think that's Jock McEwen. And Hori Hipongo, and his dad, of course. Is that um, Livesey? Um, Jock. Jock McCune. Mm. It is. Mm. See, I can't see these. They're too, mm, it's too dark. It's I can't see them. Unfortunately. Is this the first time you've seen some of these yes. photographs? Yes. No, I've, I've got, got some, some of these. I've before. got some of those. But here's an interesting one over here. This that's is our uncle, Huero Marumaru. Here's an, and that's Hera Scott. And that's Huero's wife, Mayangi. And that's our grandmother. But Doris. Nanny, who never went anywhere. Was that on the other side of the whanau? And here's our grandfather, Mahi. And this is Patohe Stevens. Irana, Hira, and Lydia from Whanganui reliving their memories of Murikaunui Incorporation. Matariki Kironga, Te Whanganui Atara Kiraro, Te Aro Paki Uta. Pauhere taonga, pauhere tangata. Matariki is above, Wellington Harbour is below. Down on the shore stands Te Aropa, with the people, the most important of all. 
Now, even though the Matariki festivities are ending for the year, it's important to remember that there are some givens that remain solid and true the whole time, and that includes the landscape and people. Next week, Māori journalist Chris Winitana Maramina Roderick and Mihi Narangi Forbes are having a rigorous discussion about the state of Māori journalism. It's pretty interesting kōrero, and I'm at a dental clinic with a difference in Rotorua, reliving all my childhood fears. Ko te wiki o te reo Māori a pōpō, kia kaha whānau mā, he wero kia koutou katoa, kōrero Māori i arā i arā o tēnei wiki. He mihi atu tēnei ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki, i a wiki, i a wiki, ki nga kai rā wiki wiki mihini, ka mau ki te wehi. Mai te whānau a te ahi kā, kia tātou katoa, Mauri ora tātou katoa.